0: To hold and give, and I might be talking too loud for Jack Atkins, but I'm going to do it at the right time, Jack Atkins. You saw a bit of liftage on the old earbuds there. I hope I'm not too loud for you.
1: No, it was fine. I just had an itchy, itchy ear because I'm just old and irritable now, it seems.
0: There are few things better in this world than an itchy ear that gets a good scratch until you give yourself an ear infection, Jack Atkins, which I did Christmas 2021. <laughs>
1: why does that not surprise me you should
0: have seen i'll put a picture on the podcast now where bosh there it is right there my ear almost doubled in size that's how infected it got it was in, like in the in the flesh not in the hole in the flesh right it's a football podcast i'm ross tweddle joined by Jarkins, and we're here to do the holding Good football podcast where we speak about the footballs from around the world of the past seven days How's your past seven days been
1: it's been it's been uh very Thank you. The the weather's gone crap. So I'm now in my um, elements. I'm wearing a nice pink cardigan here. Went out for a bowl of Scouse the other day. Oh, it's been wonderful.
0: What's in Scouse? Remind everybody or just remind me. People might not even know watching this video today.
1: It's just a cheap thick stew. So it's usually mutton rather than lamb because it's a cheaper cut of meat. Yeah, carrots, bit of potato uh, and you have it with crusty bread, and a bit of beetroot on the side. Oh, it's good for your soul. It is good for the soul.
0: Sounds like it's good for the digestive system as well. This is a football podcast, Ross, a football podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as always, we kick things off on the Hold and Give Football Podcast, as I remind myself to look at the camera right there for the Yocho viewers. With On This Day, Clive, F.E. Freely, what happened on this day in football history?
1: Well, we are recording on September the 27th, 2023, but on September 27th, 1879, we had the first ever Birmingham Derby, uh, with Small Heath Alliance, the club that would later become Birmingham City, defeating Aston Villa 1-0 at their home ground on Munts Street. So, there you go. Wow.
0: Yeah. What a lovely name for a ground.
1: <laughs> Munts. Like uh, like Nelson from The Simpsons, M-U-N-T.
0: Wow, fantastic. Mm. Anything else happen on this day?
1: Oh, yes, well, it. In 2003, Wimbledon played their first game in Milton Keynes. Boo! Down with the franchises! Yeah, it was it was a 2-2 draw with Burnley, and I've, I've put here they changed their name to MK Dons at the start of the 0405 season, and everyone hates them. So
0: I don't know what it is. I've got nothing to base this off on other than his appearances on Sky Sports, but that Pete Winkle man. The Pete Winkleman, who seemed to be at the forefront of everything MK dons over the past 20 years, whatever it's been, when they were playing at the hockey arena. I remember that, those days, yeah. with uh, Dean Lewington, ginger ninja at the back there. Uh, his dad is Ray, the assistant manager of Wally Hudson. I don't know why I know that, but I do. He strikes me, he rubs me up the wrong way, Pete Winkleman. I don't know why I have to say his name like that either. It's Winkleman, but I have to say Winkleman.
1: He's got big 8am weather energy about him. <laughs>
0: It's a used car salesman down on his luck in for a beer and a burger at 8am when they don't even serve them till 12.
1: Exactly, yeah, but you know he's uh, he's sweet talk the fellow behind the boat. It's like, oh, go on, Tom, old time psych. and then uh, <laughs> tickle, he's me. Going, tickle me, tickle <laughs> me. Talking talking of used car salesmen on uh, September twenty seventh, twenty sixteen, loaf headed pint of wine drinking bell end big Sam Allardyce, <laughs> at the greatest manager in the world according to himself, and the then current England manager was caught as part of a newspaper sting. So, Allardyce was secretly filmed by undercover reporters explaining how to get around FA rules on third-party ownership of footballers. He's also criticising his predecessor, Roy Hudson, and the England players, and was arranging a £400,000 a year speaking engagement contract, and he was sacked by the end of the day.
0: It's obviously one of the most iconic happenings in the history of the English national team, seeing Big Sam with what still looks like to this day a full pint of wine. A full <laughs> pint of wine, perhaps gravy. The gradient on the camera is a little bit rough as you would come to expect with these covert uh, missions that the newspapers sometimes do to get the ruffians out the game, which worked with Big Sam here. But ultimately, Sam Aldice leaves the England job with a 100% uh, win record. I think with Slovakia or Slovenia, something like that, we mm. won 1-0 away, or something like that, I can't remember that far back. But also, Gareth took over then and it's probably the best thing that could have happened for everybody. <laughs>
1: And, and annoyingly for Sam Allardyce, he can hang his hat on the fact that he has a one hundred percent win record as England manager. So
0: he might be the only one in history to do so. What an arsehole! I think,
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Disgusting bastard. Anything else happened on that's, this day? No, no, that's that's, <laughs> that's all
1: for on this day. That's all. For this day.
0: I tell you what, it's fantastic to hear that on September the twentieth last week when we recorded, it looks like we've bottomed out in terms of on this day in history because that was a mark stepped up. That was a big step up from last week. <laughs> Big things happen yeah. on this day.
1: More, more corruption in footballer teams because it helps the algorithm for the podcast.
0: <laughs> Should we go through our favourite Birmingham Derby things? I was just thinking in the back of my head there. We sort br- of breeze past that one. And no doubt there's a villain or a brummy or a whatever Birmingham City fans call themselves listening to this podcast.
1: What do Birmingham City fans call themselves? Brummies.
0: Up the Blues. Up the Sebastian Larson's. <laughs> I
1: don't <know. laughs> I, d- I don't... Birmingham have a weird part of my psyche because I think the first ever Tramia game I went to was Tramia versus Birmingham City in like 1996. So they'll always they'll always have that weird space in my heart.
0: Wow, I but remember. Remember Newcastle playing them in the... I remember having the 99-2000 season DVD. Steve Claridge playing up front potentially for Birmingham City against Newcastle in the League Cup. Can't remember the result. That's the first time I was exposed to to Birmingham City. But then again, me being the age I am, it was Steve Bruce. That was my Birmingham City when I was growing up. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you love steve bruce
0: oh that fat cabbage head what an arsehole he did a podcast <laughs> with simon jordan this week where he was just oh some of the things he was coming out with it's worth a listen because i can't convey how it's, you speak about sam allardyce thinking he's the best manager in his own head bruce is up there in those terms as well what a tit
1: yeah he's uh He's, he's, he's not uh, covered himself in glory in recent years, has he?
0: He hasn't, the big old dirty dinosaur. Right, we'll move on to the week's <laughs> headlines. We'll, we'll breeze past the EFL Cup last night. Not too much happened. I think Ipswich got through against Wolverhampton Wanderers with a thunder bastard of a goal to win in a 3-2 game. My United breeze past bleh, Hutchins Crystal Palace, uh, 3-0 at Old Trafford. Uh, Luton got knocked out by Exeter or Lincoln or someone. I think I forget who it was now, but there wasn't much happening last night in the EFL Cup. But tonight, I'll be live-streaming my reactions to Newcastle versus Manchester City because I don't get to pick the Sky Sports uh, schedule and that's the one that's on television today and today is the day I'm free.
1: <laughs> well, fantastic. Yeah, I- I I'll be finding some kind of means to watch Leicester versus Liverpool tonight.
0: You- you'll be going to the game because you don't stream things illegally, do you, Jack Uh, definitely not he does not do that anyway on to the Premier League weekend's headlines we go liquid football in the North London derby match where both teams obviously headed into the game unbeaten in the league this season David Raya we learned this weekend is definitely Arsenal's number one after his third start in a row as Mikel Arteta was caught talking out of his big dirty arsehole no, he's he's probably got a pristine arsehole I doubt there's a hair down there Mikel Arteta
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's wife clean like Lino
0: yeah his Lino arsehole last weekend when he said oh I've got two number ones and what a competitive set of goalkeepers that's a third start in the row now for David Raya. Aaron Ramsdale's been dropped even though he did nothing wrong at the start of this season yes you could label things towards his good name at the end of last season and obviously David Raya makes that wonderful save in the first half and Aaron Ramsdale had to make sure he was seen like a bloody so he was hey, 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 on the bench giving it the big one <laughs> making sure that everyone knew he was really happy for his friend and colleague David Reier.
1: Uh yeah Raya made some great saves in this would you say he's justified as number one or do you think we've not seen enough of him in an Arsenal shirt yet
0: he's done nothing wrong but then again, this season alone, I'm speaking of you know, obviously he made a couple of clangers at the end of last season, as I mentioned there, but this season alone Aaron Ram still did nothing wrong and he found himself dropped. But I think he was a bit of a dead man walking since Arsenal signed uh Raya, to be honest with you. You look at yeah. all the metrics. I remember everyone sharing the metrics last season, like the shots percentage saved and all those sort of stuff uh, between Rea and Ramsdale. And Ray was just marginally better in every single thing last season. So I reckon the second he was signed, Arteta sort of did it all right. I think not being so cold-blooded as to immediately drop Aaron Ramsdale and put David Raya in. But uh, if you're Aaron Ramsdale, you've got to be fuming, surely.
1: I think it will be telling to see what his next Champions League team is to see if Ramsdale becomes therefore his cupkeeper or not. Uh, I think if, if ray gets the nod for the Champions League going forward, then yeah. It's game over, isn't
0: it? It is game over. But there's going to be suitors for for Aaron Ramsdale. I was saying the other week, I'd take <laughs> I'd take him at Newcastle. I think he's a, a better all rounder than Nick Pope. Even though Nick Pope's fantastic, but the guy can't kick a football. If I was Chelsea, looking, I know Robert Sanchez had a fantastic game at the weekend there against Aston Villa, where he made a couple of flying saves. But I think Aaron Ramsdale's a big step up on him as well. So w- he'll have no issues getting a team in the Prem
1: still. Oh, definitely not. Uh, I, I, if, if I was Brentford, I'd be looking at him, but go on to Brentford
0: later. <laughs> Down with the mark flapping to give him his proper name. <laughs> anyway, Christian Romero got the deflection on uh, Bikai Saka's bender for the opener. Gary Neville was saying, Romero's got to set himself better here. And I'm like, he's twatterday bender from the edge of the box and he's got a second to react and you're saying he needs to be planted better and he's just flinging a leg in it. It's just human nature. It's a human reaction, Gary Neville.
1: Yeah, I, f- I felt really sorry for him because, like you said, there was it all went tits up, you know. A couple of millimetres either side of where it actually made contact with his knee, and it, you know, it goes out or it hits the bar or whatever. It was just. Look at the draw, Ross. It was the look of the draw.
0: It was, I but outside of giving the <laughs> ball away on the edge of his own box, which Gabriel Jesus, then luckily for him, him being uh, James Madison, put over the Denver bar in a very, very rash one on one attempt. Two assists for Jimmy Madison, and he stayed on the pitch despite his knee bending the wrong way in the second half. What an unbelievable performance from him.
1: Yeah, apart from like you said, getting his keks pulled down by uh, Jesus, he's been, he's been a fantastic side so far. I think we all kind of knew that he'd do well in this uh, in this Tottenham side, but I didn't expect him to just go, f- you know, just. Bed in as quickly as he has if you know what I mean
0: yeah I didn't realise what a player he was like what type of player he was I just thought he was like you know your number 10 that's where he was like in that central Mm. role maybe drifting left and right of course uh, as he's done for England as well but the way he picks the ball up so deep my things I was saying over the summer there when Newcastle were getting lit with I was like oh I don't think he really fits in that 4-3-3 that Eddie Howe plays bloody hell he does Ross you silly man picking that ball up from deep like he does and driving it forward and picking up all these pockets of spaces I would have quite liked him at Newcastle in hindsight I can't lie you <laughs> well,
1: it's, 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 it's what we say doesn't it it's the freedom of Ange ball as the kids are calling it it's just this Tottenham side just look like they've got the weight of the world off their shoulders they're just loving the football at the moment
0: big time and then we of course go to the second half Romero then concedes a pen to mark a wonderful day for him it hits his hand a very close <laughs> quarters the ball was heading into the net if it doesn't hit his hand so I think it's a little bit different to the same incident that happened between Spurs and Man United at the start of the season because everyone was drawing the um. Excuse me, the comparisons between them. I just think the, but the fact the ball was definitely going in if it doesn't hit his hand makes it a little bit different. But once again, it does highlight the inconsistency of how these officials over here do give penalty calls in the Premier League. We'll be speaking about more incidents this, this weekend alone later in this podcast, but the inconsistency is doing my tits in.
1: It's been doing my tits in for years now, but this season, especially already, is just ridiculous. And the other is itchy you now. Um <laughs>
0: What a treat on a Wednesday morning.
1: <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, yeah, I, again, this, I was saying before about feeling sorry for Romero. This just compounded it for me. Um, but for me, definitely a pen. Yeah, uh, Like you said, the, the fact that it was likely uh, to ripple the back of the onion bag, as the kids say anyway. I think the book ju- of cliches is out already. <laughs> it's 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 the time of record it's nine fifty four on a wednesday morning let's let's crack that bad boy open.
0: <laughs> and then of course i guess you're the big talking point from the game outside of the goals obviously some with a nice finish for well for both his goals jimmy myerson slipped him in for both of them but in big lunge on vicario if that's a yard to the right or the left, whatever way. It's a career ender for Vicario. I was on the live stream on the weekend going, oh, it's not that bad. It's just, you know, he's trying to get the ball. It's sort of there, but not really. He's trying to just put some effort in. Watching it back, my God, he got lucky there, not will get a red card.
1: Yeah, the, the, the fact alone that he was well late, but then when you watch it in slow motion, very high boots, nowhere near the ball. Went through him like a... Oh, I don't know. I was gonna say like a German centre back, but you know, that's a <laughs> that's a, a phrase I use for other walks of life. Um yeah, I, I can't believe he stayed on the pitch. Like you said, again, it's if an inch either side it's a career and as as such you just clattered him. But even then there was it looked like there was intent there. I'm not, you know, saying that there definitely was, but it like to go in with that velocity that late. Ooh, it was a bit dodgy for me, Jeff.
0: Yeah, the studs are up, weren't they, Jeff, Clive, uh, Chris Camara? Um, But yeah, I guess if (laughs) if Gino De Campo was sat here on the podcast this morning, I guess he would be saying with this incident, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bike. Meaning that he he, he didn't make contact, so it shouldn't be a red card is what I'm trying to say there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, the refs seem to be making it up as they go along these days, Ross. They're bloody well channeling the uh, energy of the PGMOL. Yeah.
0: Bollocks to the Pogmole. Anyway, Newcastle win 8-0 at Sheffield United with eight different scorers for the first time in Premier League history. But we all have to acknowledge that Liverpool did the same thing but won better back in 1989 with a 9-0 win over Crystal Palace.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. But, go on. Go, yeah. Have your moments. Just... How are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling all right. It was really, really shocking to see how bad Sheffield United were. There was a goal that Miguel Almiron scored in the second half. I forget what number it was. But he literally, he picks the ball up and pops off to Bruno. And then he's literally in the middle of the pitch and he just runs straight through. And Bruno slips him in straight through the middle of the, the team. And that never should happen at any level of football, never mind the Premier League. Tom Davies, who came on, the former Everton midfielder for Sheffield United, had one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a footballer in my life he should have his wages deducted he of course set up Isaac for the final goal uh, with a, a header that uh, didn't have too much pace on it and um, but Weirdly enough, I had to go and pick my girlfriend up in the first half, so I missed the first half on television. But listening to it on the radio, up until Sean Longstaff opened the scoring, it sounded like Sheffield United were the far better side. More clear-cut chances. Newcastle not really going. um, But then Longstaff gets the first one, and then Dan Byrne gets the second one from a set-piece. We utilise set set-pieces really well in this game. And then we get to the one where Longstaff goes in for that sort of like, it's a 70-30 potentially with uh, Robinson, the Sheffield United centre-back. Former Liverpool player, I think he was.
1: Yeah, he was, Jack um, Robinson, yeah.
0: And uh, I can see, if, if if I'm a Sheffield United fan, I'm angry that that's given us a free kick. As a Newcastle fan, or maybe a fan of any other club, I can see maybe why it was given us one. But if I was a Sheffield United fan, I'd be furious.
1: <laughs> I didn't have any problems with it. But again, it's like you said, it's one of those. You can't really begrudge it too much seeing it go because you, you see similar week in, week out. But for me, it, if, if this was Jack Atkins' Premier League... I'd be like, good tackle, son. There you go. Have a quarter of an orange, you, you little scamp.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, li- a little bit over the top, but I, th- I think it was fine personally. But anyway, Newcastle capitalised, get uh, Sven Botman getting his first goal. You know, he's, he's played something like fifty. 50- I forget how many 50-something games for Newcastle and we've only lost eight when he's been playing which I think is staggering for a team like Newcastle I've got Alan mm-hmm. Shearer there again staggering he loves that <laughs> word um, but obviously the big headline maker from the game has got to be Anthony Gordon uh, he was awful last season came from Everton that might have had something to do with it the way things have run at Everton the way, when he was there for the past couple of years especially but now he's had an Eddie Howe pre-season he's as fit as a fiddle I know he's going to play run as much as him outside of Miguel Almiron or maybe someone who takes cocaine a lot I don't No, his heart might explode if he did take cocaine, Anthony Gordon. um, But he gets a lovely bender from the edge of the box um, in the second half. He's just... I I, I didn't expect him to be this good so soon.
1: He started the season amazingly. Since game week one, he's just looked like a a man transformed. Like you've said before, it goes to show what a full pre-season behind him. He knows the squad now. He knows the style of play. But, yeah, again, he's just begrudgingly he's, he's, he's fantastic and he looks like a really good sign
0: yeah 45 million all in when the, the bonuses are added up and all that sort of stuff so it looks like a bit of a steal when you compare it to other deals on the market because I got mm. to the petrol station and Harvey Barnes obviously started the game I got back in the car after filling the car up and Anthony Gore was on the pitch I was like oh what's going on here and he turns out to be maybe the, the player the man of the match the player of the game whatever they call it these days anyway it was a good win for Newcastle Sheffield United are down down deeper and down
1: Do you think this will be not a springboard for your season? Because I think you've kind of, I don't know. I I, I don't think Newcastle have had the the start of the season that I think you would have in the league anyway. Do you think you'll build off this or do you think this will just be kind of like, oh, that was good. Remember that, lads, the blitz spirit of the eight nil. Let's, (laughs) you've got goal scorers in this team. Let's go out and give it our all. Or do you think this will just be like right now? This is this is who we are. Let's just batter as many people as possible.
0: I think it's just more symptomatic of who we've played. Like we had a really tough opening start of the season, playing against the Reds and playing against Man United. Uh, Not playing against Man United, playing against Man City. Sorry, and then Brighton away from home. Brighton, I think the performance was unacceptable, but you can see us losing at Brighton. You can see anyone losing at Brighton. So I wasn't too down about that. But it's just the fact we've now got. Brentford at home, won that game. Sheffield United away, won that game. Next up after Man City in the Cup tonight, we've got Burnley at home. Then after PSG in the Champions League, we've got West Ham away, then Palace at home, then Wolves away. So the fixtures, the way they've fallen, it's been a bit of a yin and a yang. So we're, we're beating the teams yeah. we should be beating and maybe losing to the teams you might expect us to lose to. I don't know. Yeah, It's,
1: it's a weird
0: oh. one. It's a weird one.
1: Eight different scorers though Hang your hat on that
0: Yeah Never been done in the Premier League before When football began Nothing before counts uh, Bruno Fernandes Obviously was taken out of Ross's fantasy football team uh, This this week So of course Bruno Fernandes Scores a world to win the match As my United get back to winning ways uh, It was a very weird goal to watch Because Johnny Evans Turns into uh, Pirlo With a, a lovely pick out uh, From just about Well just inside Burnley's half And first time on the volley uh, Into the far corner Wonderful strike from Bruno Fernandes uh Man United bounced back from three successes, defeats in all competitions. Burnley had their chances. Onana makes a good save down to his right from a header. Uh, but Burnley need a big goal scorer. Man United back to winning Ways Jackins. What was your take?
1: Yeah, it's it's more looking on Burnley. Um like you said, definitely need a goal scorer because the football they play is really, really nice. Um obviously they steamrolled the league last season to get promotion. Uh I don't know. I don't know who's on the market for them for January because surely that's got to be Vincent Company's priority. Yeah. Uh, as for United, like you said with Johnny Evans, they, that's the most perfect crush you'll see this side of Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> uh, nev- ne- never mind at 46 years old or however old he is. Um, I thought uh, Ramsey was unlucky earlier in the game, hitting the post as well. Um, but yeah, I only watched the highlights of this and obviously highlights only present a certain... Flavor of the game, but this is more the kind of Man United you'd expect. You know, rode their luck. There was a great save from Onana. Um, like, a, I called a it here a proper Subutio save. Proper outstretched, both arms like that. <laughs>
0: um,
1: And obviously, uh, the win in the cup last night. I don't know if this is going to be if they will bounce on from this but as we'll talk about later they've still got uh, their problems behind the scenes
0: they do do that don't they they do do that do do lol ha ha Uh, what the bollocks is going on at Chelsea nobody knows another goalless game for them I don't think they've scored since 2022 Um, Mudrick looked a lot better in their game against Aston Villa there was a beautiful ball he played in the first half sort of behind the defenders but through the defenders at the same time for Jackson who of course we went through one on one he missed because that's what he does best I shouldn't write him out so soon but he is a bit rash isn't he
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, it was one of those where I feel he just needed to back himself a little more for the finish um, I think he the, there's a good player in there but obviously the whole team's not performing no. so it feels unfair to single him out but yeah but that ball from Mudrick was delicious
0: yeah it was delicious Oh, as was the the saves from Sanchez I mentioned earlier there's Zaniolo and Dinier with the volleys he tips them over the Denver Bar to Sanchez then we get to the right red card for Gusto who had plenty of of that oh, I've, written, I've written down a pun here then butchered the delivery we have a red card for Gusto who had plenty of that with his over the top tackle on Dinya. he gave it a lot of had a lot of Gusto uh, I don't think it was a red personally there was nothing wrong with that With uh, in Tweddle's Premier League that, for that tackle
1: oh I don't know um trying to remember it off the top of my head because on my note here I've put Defo Red good use of VAR because originally it was a yellow and then it was reversed and off the top because we all know what my memory is like I only watched this last night to uh, jog my memory as well Um, I'm sure he was studs up on it wasn't he not really it was just a bit just
0: just a bit high just a bit bit. high it was like it was a Robinson it was one of them. If it's your team, you're angry. If it's not your team, you're like, ah, oh, you've seen them given. But Ollie Watkins, after the game, he came out and said it was a yellow, not a red. So that's 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 another point in my my. Thing not yours, so, yeah. Me and Ollie Watkins. Uh, massive boos <laughs> for Chelsea at full time, who have now had their worst start since 1978. There was reports of one of the not Todd Bowley himself, but the other fella who got chased away from the stadium by the fans going down to the dressing room after the game to give the team a pep talk. What's your views on that? I don't like hearing that. Me.
1: Yeah, you've you've hired the manager. He should be the one to do it. I mean, are the are the players in question going to be like, oh, here's one of the money men telling us to do better, like? It wouldn't do anything for me. I hope that they give Pochettino time because everyone outside of Chelsea can see this is clearly a project. It's a project that's not working right now, but it is a project. It's a long-term thing. They've managed to coax him back into football. But how much time can he be afforded really on the other hand?
0: Yeah, well, they spent all this money and they've gone from <clears throat> from 12th to 14th or 14th to 14th, something like that. So there's been no improvement. But I look at the Chelsea team and I'm looking at the players they've got. And I'm just like the, the the job Pochettino has in his hands. I was predicting maybe they would do quite well at the start of the season. I was, I was impressed with Jackson in his pre-season outings against Newcastle mm-hmm. and whatnot and taking all that into account and the lack of European football being to their advantage. But when you look at the team in the Premier League and what it's been doing, even Caicedo is not doing much and he was one of the stand-up players in the league last season. So. <laughs> uh, so it's just the players he's got at his disposal clearly aren't quite good enough to get where Chelsea maybe think they should be. I think it's probably. it's a
1: weird it's a weird one now in hindsight because obviously opening game of the season uh, Liverpool went to Stamford Bridge and held to a draw and Chelsea could have and probably should have easily won that and Jackson had a great game but now it's looking at in hindsight it's, it's seeming from a Liverpool perspective as a missed opportunity to have gone fully unbeaten for the league so far but it's one of them I t- you like to think that they'll come good but I don't know now it's it's becoming like a. A pattern, a pattern, pattern of behaviour for Chelsea just to be kind of a bit stinking. talking all of stinking though, Can I say Raheem Sterling looked absolutely awful as well. <laughs>
0: There was a one-on-one one he missed, which I think was giving off Simon in the end, but the fact he didn't put it in the net was one of the most mm. embarrassing things I've seen, and I've seen some yeah. embarrassing things. Anyway, what was I going to say? Graham Potter must be smiling, because I reckon when Graham Potter got the sack, he was thinking, oh, God, I've tarnished my reputation. It was growing and growing and growing. Yeah, on, year on, yeah. But now the fact that Pochettino's got off this start, maybe people might realise it wasn't down to Potter. Maybe it was a, a problem bigger than he.
1: Yeah, I potentially he'll be... Uh... I was seriously laughing all the way to the bank, but that's that's the reason Chelsea were in this mess in the first place. <laughs> uh, speaking of the bank, the Ev have got some money and they
0: won at the GTEC. Uh, that's how the chant goes. 3-1 it was to the Ev and a result that nobody saw coming, I don't think. Brentford had only lost one of the last 18 home league games in the Premier League, but the Ev get their first win of the season. Decore opened the scoring with a nice finish on the half volley, who... For Everton could have been 3 0 up at half time watching that game on Saturday night. Tarkowski gets the second goal against his former team, where the commentator was like, He left under a cloud, what a charlatan! And I looked it up and he refused to play against Burnley when he was heavily linked to sign for Burnley back in the days of Dash. So that's why he left under a cloud, which
1: I didn't know. No, no, I didn't know that either.
0: Yeah, what an arsehole, if you're from a, <laughs> from a Brentford perspective. And then I was, I tell you what, I was happy to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the score sheet with a, a decent little finish in the second half, going through Mark Flappen, as we like to call him on the podcast, the absolute poo-house that he is. And based on chances alone, Everton should have won by a far bigger margin than they did. But as we all know with them, they do struggle to put the ball in the net sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's, it was like a opening weekend. Was It, it was Fulham, wasn't it, where... If they could finish things they would have won that easily to be in a better position than they are now there's there is a team in there but well, it's a question of consistency it's a question of finishing on a um a more regular basis it's can calvert lewin stay fixed i think he's a really good player but he's made of crisps <laughs> as for brent as for brentford like we were saying about flapping flecken was flapping again this week um, they look sloppy at the back. Obviously, this weekend, the other week against your boys in the black and white. Um, but I look, they've only conceded nine this season, which is, you know, I think puts them in like the kind of top half of the table in terms of goals conceded already. But these last two games, especially, they've just looked rudderless at the back
0: yeah I mean when they came to Newcastle they set up with a three-five-two. I think they went back to a back four for the game against Everton because they were at home but I tell you what they just don't have off... it's like watching but not this is going to sound weird in terms of their defensive play it's like watching Bolton back in the day not in terms of their attacking play because they're a lot nicer on the island where what Bolton used to be but it's like that just sitting deep men behind the ball everyone's got their position you don't move from that position that's the formation stay there or die like
1: like, like a like a badly thought out game of chess ross
0: (laughs) exactly never played (laughs) never ever played a game of chess me never ever
1: i I learned the rudiments of it when i was a kid and my dad taught me but like it's it i think i played about four or five times it's one of those now and i'm a fan of the the hip-hop group the wu-tang clan who Mm. are all big chess nerds and i just think yeah
0: oh you learn something every day
1: yeah, but it's, it's one of those that I'm just like, I should like properly learn how to play it because I like the idea of chess, but not as much as I like the idea of Football, so let's get this This is not the Hold and Give Chess podcast, unfortunately.
0: Coming soon. So we've had itchy ears, we've had chess, we've had... Anyway, Luton's penalty in their home draw against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Highlights, yet again, a lack of consistency in how the referees award them. I just burped there. I had a rather strong coffee just before the podcast. Wolves uh, head coach Gary O'Neill came out to the press after the game and said, I've looked at the rule book. The rule clearly states, if the ball hits a player on the foot, and then hits the same player on the hand via a clear deflection off another part of their body, it can't be given as a penalty. But what happened in this game? The ball did that to Gomez, I think it was, for Wolves in the middle of the park, number eight, and they gave a penalty. So what are they doing? They're just making up as they go along.
1: What is the point of VAR if it can't do its job? The, the referees clearly made a, a clear and obvious error there. And it's not a pen for me that O'Neill's rightly aggrieved. I've not seen anyone outside of the refs themselves who agree that that was a penalty decision. And like you said, at the end of the season, this could be, a in hindsight, a relegation six-pointer. So yeah, this, this who knows the ramifications this could have at the end of the season. But yeah, yeah never a penalty though.
0: Yeah, and it's cost Wolves two points the game where they just they didn't look like they were going to drop those two points until that penalty actually mm. happened. But there we go. The absolute bollocks that is the Pogmol and the referees at the top of the British game. Bastards, a lot of them. Anyway, general football headlines now. We've got uh, Napoli striker victor. Osman, Osman, yeah. Ozyman. So Napoli's dropped a bollock here because Ozymen missed a penalty in Sunday's 0-0 draw at Bologna before coming into some little bit of bans from his own team who employs him. They uploaded a video to TikTok which showed uh, Osman just sort of begging for a penalty then putting the pen wide. I don't know what they were trying to achieve with it but now it looks like Big Victor and his agent or whoever is going to be potentially launching some legal action. What they said in the formal statement from his agent Roberto Calasso They said what happened today on Napoli's official profile on TikTok platform is not acceptable. A video mocking Victor was first made public and then, but now belatedly, deleted. A serious fact that causes very serious damage to the player and adds to the treatment that the boy is suffering in the last period between the media, trials and fake news. We reserve the right to take legal action and use useful information to protect Victor. This was, have you seen the little TikTok? It's only about 13 seconds long.
1: No, I uh, I am not on TikTok because I'm a 34-year-old man.
0: Me neither, but it was uploaded <laughs> upload to x.com, which is where I saw it. So, yeah, it just, it's just a little thing where it's like, please give me the pen. He's obviously wanting to get the pen off some other Napoli player who might have wanted to take it at the time. He puts it wide, and that's sort of how it goes. That's that's it.
1: That's, uh, th- that's definitely some poo from the social media team there. Regardless of what's going on behind the scenes, you've got to present the idea of... Back in the players, back in the team, back as as if if you're wearing the shirt, you're one of us kind of thing, especially on such massive platforms as X where you saw it and TikTok where other people saw it, but (laughs) it's, it's just, it's stupid. Um, It's it's stupid from the social media team, definitely. For Ozzaman, I wonder if him and his agent were thinking, because obviously... I think most people are surprised that he stayed with Napoli coming out of the transfer window. I wonder if they were thinking, right, have we got grounds to maybe facilitate a move? What can we do to um, speed up a process when it comes to the next transfer window? I don't know if they've seen this. And it, on the face of it, it might seem like an overreaction. But obviously, after the Deli Alley interview, I'm looking at things a lot more differently now. And like you saying it, it can't be good for his, his mental health and his confidence if even his own are taking the piss out of him online.
0: Yeah, because it does muddy the water slightly because he is currently in contract negotiations with Napoli because he's got that massive release clause on his current deal. I assume they're going to be trying to um, renegotiate. Uh, well, apparently the new deal would have had a release clause of 150 million. I think the current one somewhere uh, that's in euros, obviously, but the the, the current one had somewhere in 140 million. Because Man United were getting linked with them, certain teams in Saudi, I guess, were getting linked with them as well. Uh, but his, his contract's due to expire in 2025. Apparently the new contract had been close to being agreed uh, in the summer, but now I guess that's going to get knocked back when your own employers are taking the piss out of you. I wouldn't like that.
1: No, definitely not. And uh, he's he just he, I don't even know if he's been linked with him, but he's off to Madrid, isn't he? It's just <laughs> quite a- <laughs> They don't need him have got Hossaloo oh, up the Hossaloo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My God. I can't believe what I'm seeing from Hossaloo. We missed a fair few chances in the Champions League last week, but just seeing him in the Madrid shirt and closing your eyes and hearing the commentator going like a Real Madrid come forward and Hossaloo. You maybe think he's gonna score an own goal against Real Madrid. Never mind play for them. <laughs> he was wank for Newcastle. Anyway, senior figures at Manchester United are hopeful that Jaden Sancho will be reintegrated into Eric Ten Hag's senior first team plans. Sancho is currently training. Away from the first team after his social media thingy, where he claimed he was a scapegoat after Ten, Hag, after Ten Hag revealed the winger was not selected for United's losses. Sorry, Manchester United's loss at Arsenal due to poor training levels. The 23-year-old initially refused to take down his post from X, but later agreed to move it from his feed. He's also deactivated his Instagram account now, which I guess is from a player's perspective. And you've been through this. I think that's quite a sensible thing to do because you're just going to get yourself into trouble in the future again, aren't you? If it's there, surely.
1: Yeah, I I don't even know how people so ensconced in the public eye even have. Obviously for lucrative, you know, advertising deals, but if 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 I was a, a high profile name, I would not have social media. I would not be going anywhere near it. It must be just, especially if you're in a little bit of controversy like that, just open it up so people tell you you're in our bed. It must be horrible.
0: Yeah, but I guess in terms of the pantheon of like, you know, arsehole social media platforms, the gram's at the bottom, is it not?
1: I could, you'd like to believe, but obviously you've got um, stories and you could live broadcast and stuff like that quite easily on Instagram, can't you? So. Yeah, that's only
0: me going off personal experience. Twitter's a different game. Death threats on Twitter, but not Instagram. Up the gram. Um, Sancho is apparently still refusing to apologise to Ten Hag for his social media thingy, and the Dutchman has suggested in press conferences he will only be allowed to return if he does apologise. Uh, he said after Saturday's game at Burnley, it depends on him. So if I was Sancho... I'd be saying sorry, sir. Please get me back in the team. I've not had a good couple of years. The only way is down from here.
1: <laughs> Which is, yeah, seems to be the kind of side of the coin I'm sitting on. But I did see a take from someone recently on Twitter saying, "Imagine you are Jaden Sancho, though, and even though you've been, you know, underperforming and you've not justified your price tag, imagine being frozen out by Ten Hag while the clubs make it overtures to try and bring Mason Greenwood back. You'd feel a bit." Oh yeah you'd feel a bit aggrieved, wouldn't you? So again, this was just someone on, on Twitter slash X's opinion, but it made me think of it that way thinking, Oh yeah, if that was me and I was seeing that kind of stuff and I was feeling a bit jaded anyway, that possibly would play into my thinking.
0: That makes me think there, at Ten Hag, you got to think about the possibility of the club overruling the manager. I guess that wouldn't be a thing because surely Ten Hag seems like a man of integrity, even though he is a bit of a poo house. Um, Surely, if the, the club were overruling him, because you think about the way he's dealt with Sancho, the, the bollocks that Mason Greenwood's done, it's 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 a different level completely, obviously. So surely we want to get rid, would he not? I don't know. It's made me think a completely different way. That that take it's spot on.
1: Yeah, but as as for the like I was saying, the the current rift between Ten Hag and Sancho, uh, I don't see how this gets repaired, really. You'd think Sancho would be looking for a way out of United, but on his wages and considering his form, where does he go apart from Saudi? Which is horrible to say, because I would say 23. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said before, I'd, I'd, I'd have him at Liverpool if he took a dramatic pay cut and uh, just got his head down and played with his mates and good old Jürgen Klopp. Because we, we saw at Dortmund, he's a fantastic player, but something's just got lost in translation
0: big time news close to your heart now Jackins at well, according to Radio Marker who I assume are associated with the publication Marker are saying that Xabi Alonso will be the new Real Madrid head coach next season he was only hired by Bayer Leverkusen in October of last year with the team's second bottom after eight games become the end of last season Bayer had, fini- uh, had finished sixth 12 points off fourth which I guess is an achievement in itself being where they were at the start of the season but they also got the semi-finals of the Europa League getting knocked out by Jose Mourinho's Roma. Uh, the Brazilian FA have confirmed that Carlo Ancelotti will take over the team or lead the team at the 2024 Copa America, so it looks like there's going to be a new Madrid coach, although the, 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 the I's haven't been dotted yet, the T's haven't been crossed. Xabi Alonso potentially going to Real Madrid, though. Ooh, ooh, ooh.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the most handsome and most brilliant players I've ever seen in a Liverpool shirt, the dishy get. Um he's, he's done really well up, uh, at Leverkusen, and, and there was talk amongst Liverpool fans online because obviously we thought for years, oh, when Gerrard was at Rangers, we're like, oh, stay at Rangers or go to a different team and build upon this and then when Jürgen Klopp leaves, we'll bring in Steven Gerrard. But after Gerrard you know, at Villa and now he's in Saudi Arabia in a national dress looking absolutely out of his death. Um, Robbie
0: Fowler I, on my Instagram, you know, sometimes it's like suggested for you pops up and you just get a random picture in your feed. A picture of Robbie Fowler wearing the Saudi garb. Um, popped up for me.
1: What's it? What's he doing over there? He, he's he's involved with one of the
0: Let me have B a League
1: teams. Yeah, Robbie, one of the B League teams. Robbie Fowler. Anyway, what were you saying? But yeah, after after Gerrard had kind of is it managerial career had sputtered, we thought, oh well, fantastic. We'll we'll you know keep we'll ride the Jurgen Klopp train for as long as possible, and then hopefully bring Alonso in because Alonso is still very. Um, he speaks highly of Liverpool, you know. You know, says he still loves the team, et cetera. But if he could build upon this at Real Madrid, I can't see those players not playing for Xabi Alonso Coutinho. He won everything while he was a player there. Well respected, uh, classy player. He seems classy off the pitch. He's he's just a lovely, handsome man, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he seems to be the next like big one, doesn't he, in the coaching game? The next big one. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Anyway, just looking at Robbie Fowler's managerial career so far. It's one of the greatest I've ever seen. He was the manager between October 2011 and January 2012 of Muang Thong United, or Muang Thong, I guess it's pronounced. They wouldn't have thong in their name like that, would they? Uh, where he uh, won 30% of his games, played 13-1-4. Then he went to Brisbane Raw in Australia between April 2019 and June 2020, won 11 of 24, giving him a win rate of 45. Then he went to East Bengal in India, between October 2020 and September 21, he won three games out of 20, giving him a 15% rating. And now he's in Saudi at Al Qadsayah, Al Qadsayah, something like that. I don't know how do I pronounce it? Uh, hired in June of this year, he's won four games out of five so far.
1: See, the prodigal son returns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a managerial career that is for Robbie Fowle, anyway. We move on to more. What could be potentially managerial news in the future, but Phil Jones has basically confirmed this week that he is retired from playing. It's the start of a new journey for him, he says on social media. Great to begin global football sports directorship course with the PFA Business School, learning new things about the game while serving to continue to push ahead with my A license and badges at the club that gave me so much. Excited to get started. And there's pictures of him coaching the youth lads. Uh, well, I say youth lads, it's little children. Not even the youth lads, just little kids. Up the Phil Jones.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, uh, I was going to say not being mean to Phil Jones, but this is being mean to Phil Jones. He was never going to have a career in punditry, was he? I mean... (laughs) Why not? Uh, I I just kind of... I kind of get the image of him just being a deer in headlights. Do you think of all those faces he pulled? But imagine that in front of a... In a studio setting with him sweating with all this makeup and studio lights on him.
0: Imagine that, um, like you just hear... It cuts in. Linek is tried to do his link. Incredible scenes. Sorry if you're on the audio feeds. We just pulled some mad, cow faces. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Where could Phil Jones' career go to, Jarkins? you oracle? Where is he going to end up? Is he going to be Real Madrid manager like
1: Xabi Alonso? I feel this is the second coming of Steve Bruce, but without the glittering playing career behind him.
0: I feel so bad for Phil Jones because it it's, it's, it's like a case of the Freddie Adoos to go to our uh, What Happened to That Wounded King segment on the podcast because uh, Ferguson set him up good and proper with that quote of like, he could be the greatest player we've ever had here at Manchester United, better than George Best and better than Dennis Law, better than Ronaldo. Um, and then injuries just buggered him. And I feel so sorry for him in a way because he, he did become the laughing laughingstock because of, like, sort of circumstances that weren't in his
1: control. Yeah, it, it was just the it was the meme worthiness of him, wasn't it? Like the the clip of him in slow motion crawling, like he's an evolutionary step. It's
0: but you love to see that though. In that prose, he was trying to head a ball away. He was doing anything he could to get that ball away. Exactly. It was
1: the, uh, another one from the cliche book. He was a, when he wanted to be, he was a blood and thunder player, wasn't he? But. Um, <laughs> Just inconsistent. Sometimes he'd look like a world beater, but more often than not, he just looked a bit clueless, didn't he? Oh, Face fa- Facials aside, actually, just... But I think that's been indicative of Manu over the last decade, pretty much.
0: Yeah, big time. What a mess. Anyway, we spoke last week about Daniel Lever revealing at a fans forum, a Spurs fans forum, that Harry Kane had what he called a, well, what was put to him as a buyback... Buyback clause, my goodness me, in his Bayern Munich contract. However, reports have now suggested that it's not necessarily a buyback option, but it's one that would allow Spurs to match any bid that Bayern chose to accept from a Premier League side further down the line. So, for example, if Harry Kane became available, Arsenal, let's say, offer 50 million, Spurs can then offer 50 million and they'd accept both the bids, and Harry Kane would have a choice to make. Levy had an interview with uh, Bloomberg where he said if Harry one day wants to come back to the Premier League and he wants to come to Tottenham we would have the ability to repurchase him so he's lied at that fans for him as Daniel Levy because that's not a
1: buyback clause no that's just a oh maybe one day we could potentially maybe bid for him
0: an option a, a buy option an option to buy uh, whatever shut up Ross what are you gonna say
1: well, well that's a and as well that suggests to me that it's only the actual bid amount it doesn't say that they'll potentially match terms because like you said say if Say if there was a world where Arsenal bid 50 million but are offering Harry Kane 480 grand a week, Leave, you could say, yeah, we've bid 50 million as well. It's like, but how much did you offer him a week? He's like, doesn't matter, we bid 50 million. Um, this reminds
0: me I, of the, the Mike Ashley airs at Newcastle where the reports, I remember there was one summer where we bid for apparently bid for Brian Ruiz, but it happened at like 11.59 when the deadline was at midnight. We're like, oh, well, we bid 11 million for him. Look, we, we do want to spend money, but we bid it with 30 seconds left in the window when the deal was never, ever going to get done. But we bid it anyway. We're ambitious.
1: We 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 have that a little with FSG, and obviously you know they they do buy players, but it seems duress at sometimes because like the reason we, our midfield was terrible last season because they basically said, "Don't worry, we're going to buy Bellingham next season," and then <laughs> it came out and they were like, "Oh no, that's too expensive," and then the week later they're just like, "Here's a here's a transfer record for uh, a Kaisei though," I was like why didn't you spend that money on Bellingham? He was like, oh, he was too expensive. And then the Kai oh, deal didn't go through. And they were like, ah, well we bid. And I was like, ah, oh, did you though? Mm. So it's, it's, uh, it's paper thin in my book, but yeah. it, it's, he's, he's just saying what Spurs fans want to hear, but He's kind of shot himself in the foot by doing it, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, big old dirty liar. Anyway, welcome to Contract Corner, everybody, where we look at all the contract renewals that have been taking place this week. Arsenal captain Martin Odegaard has signed a new long-term contract. The 24-year-old had entered the final two years of his previous deal and talks were opened in May over an extension. He's now put a uh, pen to paper on a deal that will run until 2028... I don't know what you say about Martin Odegaard. Obviously, he was one of the football manager generation back in the day. Could have been a Freddy, I do. But went and became a Freddy. Oh, I've started it now. I need to finish finish the story. Ross, finish the story. He could have Jumberg. been. A, he, yeah, he became a Freddy Jumberg. I was, I was going to go down Kruger because he's. Oh. In, he murders folk in his dreams or something. Is that Freddy Kruger? I'm not up to scratching my horror knowledge at all. It is
1: Freddy Krueger, but I was just saying Freddy Lundberg, just because he's went to Arsenal and he's been dead good.
0: Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. He's... <laughs> Some big news on the podcast today. Martin odegaard has been dead good for Arsenal. <laughs> <hasn't> he
1: Jarkins, <laughs> he has been dead good, and that's putting it bluntly. <laughs> um, I, I felt the same as you because I remember, obviously, as a teenager, he's been shopped around all the big teams. I think he he did a train session with Liverpool, definitely. I think he did one, you know, United, Barca, Bayern, and then he chose Real Madrid. And we're like, oh, that's the last we'll ever see of this young child. And then when he turned up at Arsenal, I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Let's see how he gets on. And he's been he's been superb. I Absolutely fantastic.
0: I don't know how much Arsenal got him for, the, but it would have been a lot less than what he's worth now. So unbelievable business all round. And fair play to him for becoming... Because I didn't think he was like sort of like, I don't want to say complete midfielder, but you know what I'm saying? He is box to box. He does put himself about. He, does, he is the engine room. Get the book of cliches out again. I didn't realise he was one of them. I thought he was, you know, your fancy Dan number 10, like an Ozil when he first signed
1: yeah and he's uh to go back before when you mentioned taking bruno fernandez out of your fpl team he's one of those that i'm always like omen and are about odegaard because you just don't know what kind of game he's gonna have like you said he could have that kind of fancy dan number 10 role or he could just be like no i'm gonna settle things up kind of more in the midfield you lads go and play your game yeah. so he's he's yeah i don't want to use the word complete because that just seems a bit extravagant but he's He's a very good midfielder, Ross.
0: He's up there, isn't he? And also in contract corner this week, Liverpool have confirmed that Costa Simikas is signing a new long-term contract at the club. He's 27 years old and signed from Olympia Arcos in 2020. And of course, his highlighting for the Reds was scoring the winning penalty in the FA Cup final last year. Uh, 28 appearances in all competitions last season. What's your feelings on this? Because Obviously, you've got to have a squad to compete in football, but getting this guy down to a long-term deal when he's not really... I know he's not there to be the first choice left back, but he thought he would make more of a competition for Robertson potentially than he has done. That's from an outsider well, yeah. looking
1: in. Yeah, because we've we've, we've tried when we tried playing him in that kind of um, the Trent Alexander Arnold, you know, role that where he kind of like goes into midfield a little bit. It doesn't really work for Tim Um but he's he's well liked. His, his nickname's the 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 Scouse Greek, and he, he always goes on saying that's maybe ki- that's Greek
0: Kyriakos, back. is it not? You can't tell away from him.
1: No, because he was just like a Greek god. He was just... But I think he's going to... I think he's on his way to maybe becoming a low-level cult hero like Kiriakos did. Um, but he's, he's very well-liked. He seems like a nice lad. He, he doesn't seem... You never hear stuff about him being miffed about, you know, not starting week in, week out. He, he seems like the kind of player where he realizes he's part of a very, very good squad and he's got his part to play. A lot of us did... Think that he would be sold in the summer uh, because we thought we can get money for him so it remains to be seen if this is just to protect his value potentially but either or I, I like him like you said having him as a squad player and we're competing on four fronts this season so we we need everyone we can so yeah I, I like him Fair enough. Seems like a nice fella. Nice fella.
0: He he does seem like a nice fella. Uh, Eugen, uh, sorry, Nagelsmann. Julian Nagelsmann. Put your teeth in, Ross. has been announced as Germany's new head coach ahead of Euro 2024. The DFB. What an ominous name that is for a football federation. uh, Confirmed earlier this month, they parted way with Hansi Flick following their shock 4-1 loss to Japan in September. Extending their poor run of four wins in 17 games. Then Rudy Voller from the FIFA cover then took over. Well, not the FIFA cover. The FIFA promo image everyone saw with a big curly <laughs> mullet oh just thinking about that spitting that mullet makes my skin crawl uh, from way back in the Germany of course were eliminated at the group stage of the 2022 World Cup and have not advanced beyond the last 16 in any competition since Euro 2016 and it's weird how football works isn't it Jarkins? because Nagelsmann he took over from Flick at Bayern München <laughs> history's repeated itself will he get placed on Guardian leaving then replaced by Thomas Tuchel
1: that remains to be seen um, I don't know about Gardner and Leaf, but I, I do think that the DFB, as we've come to know them, that you, you know, in the heart, it's like, we want Tuchel or we want Klopp. Everyone else would be fine. But if we can get Tuchel or Klopp, that would be very, very good. Uh, but as for Nagelsmann, he, he can't do worse than Flick did, considering... Um, what were we saying the other week? Was it, He was the first one... like?
0: The first first ever German manager to be fired since the the position was created in the 1920s or something like that.
1: Yes, you can't do any worse than that, surely. So... I think it's a it's a win win situation for him. He's got nothing to lose, literally.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was he was the big name like touted for the Chelsea manager before Pochettino took over, wasn't he? Nagelsmann with his skateboard. <laughs> do you remember Harry Hands, Richard Keys, good. What? How? How do people prefer him? Does he? Is it because he skateboards? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, nonce. I hate Richard Keys. I shouldn't call him a. An... No, I think nonce is fair. Um, it's not fair. He's not an actual nonce. He's just he's close to being a nonce because his new wife is the best friend doesn't matter. We went through that in the podcast a few weeks ago, didn't we, Jarkins? It was our twat we of did. the Week segment. If you want to go watch that, go and watch episode. I can't remember what episode it was. Anyway, we'll move on from Harry hands Richard Keyes to Manchester United forward Marcus Rashford is thankfully unhurt after being involved in a car accident on Saturday night following the win over Burnley. Rashford and his colleagues have been dropped off at the Carrington Training Ground after returning from Turf Moor. They know he's going to make his way home and the accident took place not far away from Carrington with Rashford's Rolls-Royce. Have you seen the picture? ...involved in an accidental collision with another car. Images were posted on social media, so significant damage to the rear of his car... ...and debris littering the road. Uh, Rashford was reported with immediately got out to check on the driver of the other car... ...and then Bruno Fernandez once again there with the assist... Kind of. Uh cleaning up far behind after leaving the Carrot and training ground as well. It's apparently stopped. We've checked on everyone at the scene as well. A United spokesman said uh, in a statement, thankfully both were uninjured and no ambulance was required. So those pictures, oh, I know it's like a week's wage for him, a Rolls-Royce, but still, I'd be, I, my arse would be red raw.
1: No, I've, I've not seen the images of this. I saw the fallout of people being arseholes about Rashford Online saying, oh, he's got a Rolls-Royce, has he." I thought he was, you know... If you had that money, you would, wouldn't you? You would? Yeah, what, what they expect them to get the bus. Like, it's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not his uh, but, fault. He's at that level of the game and gets paid that money. It's not his fault.
1: Yeah, but it's it's. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Rashford got out and checked on the other driver. It seems very of his character, doesn't it? Um, but like you said, it's, it's, as long as everyone's all right, yeah. And he'll, I'm sure he's already driving a, a, his, his backup Rolls Royce, isn't he? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> big time. Uh, we
0: end the week's headlines from the world of professional football uh, with an interview with Miguel Grandos and Olga in Argentina. I think Lionel Messi has offered some insight as what he's going to do after his playing career comes to an end. What am I going to do next, he says? I don't know. I would like to be a sporting director, be with the kids, and teach. In October 2022, Messi outlined his desire to become a sporting director while stressing, I don't really intend to be a coach, although he did concede. Uh, Zinedine Zidane said exactly that after after that, he became a coach and won the Champions League three times. So he's either going to be a sporting director or be a coach. That's what I've learned there. Hmm. Wouldn't um, it be amazing if he was if he became the best coach ever as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think you we we'd get a case of the Pep Guardiolas about well. him. I think it would be one of those It'd be like, Oh, it's easy to coach every good team ever and not do it with Burnley, you know. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of him becoming um, a sporting director, though, Mm. rather than an out-and-out coach, because I don't know. Obviously, he's a a, a multi-multi-millionaire. He's probably, like most multi-multi-millionaires, he's probably a bit of an arsehole behind the scenes because that kind of money will change people. But uh, the, the kind of public persona of Messi is, oh, he does it for the game. He seems like a nice lad. Oh, he won the World Cup for Argentina. He did that for his people. And you like the idea of him just being like, that's me done being potentially the best of all time. Better get this next generation ready. All come and sit under the learning tree of me, Lionel Messi. <laughs> it's like he's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was I- a perfect, perfect accent as well. I think you'll hear, yeah.
0: Um, but I reckon if you look at his his contract that he got for his move to Inter Miami and the business of football, if you want to put it that way, nobody knows the business of football better than him when he's got like Apple TV ramifications in his own bloody football contract so who better to be a sporting director and sort out all that sort of stuff than Lionel Messi and his agent presumably
1: as well working in the background well, whatever he takes he's going to be back at Barca as
0: We'll have to see if they can afford him. Oh, who am I joking? Of course they can. Even when they have got no money, they can afford everybody. So yeah, Lionel Messi will be the sporting director of Barcelona in the not too distant future on a massive wage that they can't afford to pay, but still do. Anyway, we move on to our highlight of the week. I'll kick things off, Jagan Since I think I went, you <laughs> went first last week. Uh, Istanbul Sport. Give them the full name. Welcome Galatasaray to the Atatürk Olympic Stadium on th- on Tuesday evening in a Turkish Super League match. Karim Akter called glue oh god stepped up to take a spot <laughs> kick for galatasaray but instead of putting his foot through the ball the 24 year old ingeniously laid off the ball to the on russian Mauro Icardi. you know him off the football and the wife's <laughs> that is him who's involved with a wife and another wife isn't it
1: uh is it is it him is it Icardi's wife who's very uh Let's just say vocal about his career choices. Yeah, something, uh, something to do with wife's. Yeah,
0: I'll have to Google that. I should probably Google it before saying. Anyway, <laughs> the highlight of the week isn't that. His wife's. Uh, the highlight of the week is the fact that the keeper had been floored because of a little dummy done by Akter Koglu. Akter Koglu. God, I can't get his name right. Uh, but of course, he did the old Dennis, the old Thierry Henry in it, Robert Perez or Perez into Henry, Perez into Henry. Henry was running on it, wasn't he? Um, and he could have put the ball into the empty net, but no, he doesn't. He puts it wide. The keeper's down. It's an empty net from twelve yards, and he puts it wide. It's fantastic scene. I can't play the footage for you now on the podcast on YouTube because I think we would get copyright claimed from uh, from Turkey. It's not like Honduras last week with the big tech girl. <laughs> what, are not scared of Honduras here. Be are scared of Turkey. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, you just type in his name on social media. You'll see it. It's an unbelievable miss and it's fantastic to see it happen for me.
1: I thought they changed the, the rules about penalties that you couldn't do this kind of poo anymore.
0: It's, the ball's got to travel forwards, hasn't it? So as long as it travels forwards, that's fine. Whatever, yeah. whatever, like length of the forwardsness, I think it's fine. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, still, like a, it's I'm like, I'm still... like a referee,
1: Jargs. I just don't know the rules. I just make it up. <laughs> just make it up. Just make it up. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you, you're glad to see things like this not pay off, aren't you? Because it just, it, it goes against the spirit of the game, Ross.
0: Yes, it does. But it does look wonderful when it comes off. Wasn't wasn't was the Riaks one back in the day that that was the originator? I forget who it was now.
1: Was oh, it? I can't remember. Was it Cruyff? Let
0: us know in the comments down below if you do know. What's your highlight of the week, Jackins?
1: Uh, well, because uh, we haven't mentioned the fact that Jürgen Klopp's the Reds are indeed Mustard. Um, and just because I want to make you feel sad about not signing him, it's Dominic Soberslay just being absolutely brilliant. And even though we are 3-1 up against West Ham, he was pressing like a feral dog, like we are in the 90th minute chasing a win in the Champions League final. And... He's brilliant and I love him and he's very good and it made me happy.
0: I should say I need to apologise because that's two weeks in a row now in the Premier League headlines of the week. The Reds haven't been included because their business has been business that you would expect them to do. It's not really been headline-worthy. Like a 3-1 win at home to West Ham, nothing really happened in the game that was, you know, controversial, I guess, so... I did see a lot of Liverpool fans got, I know. I, I know we've spent. You know, got four new midfielders. I was going to do the impression there, but I stopped myself. I know we've got four new midfielders or whatever. But that uh, that Pac-A-Tar would fit in quite nicely.
1: Oh, Pakatari was brilliant. He was so so good. But obviously, there's the, um, the the kind of betting stuff hovering around him, isn't there? But who
0: cares? He'll eat his ban, and that'll be it. It'll be over in a few months' time. Look at Ivan Tony; it'll be fine.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pak had a really good game, but. Um... So I like, oh, I, love him. I love him. But that, that, that was my highlight of the weekend. Anyway. So have you seen it impressing? No, no. It's it's it, like it's attacking the cop end. Second half, like I said, 3-1 up. Um, first half, we didn't play too well. West Ham were in the game. Second half, we just went into another gear. But the ball's being played around the pat, around the back and Zobislai's like, I want this back. And he's just legging everyone, legging it to the keeper. The crowd are just like, go on, you big, handsome, get you, get that ball oh. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy about Liverpool again, Ross. I'm happy about <laughs>
0: Liverpool, as you should be. You set of yeah. bastards. We go from our highlight of the week to the twat of the week. Jack, as you kick us off this time.
1: Um. Well, I wanted. I wanted to say Michael Antonio after his uh, comments before West Ham versus Liverpool, but it what, is... What were, they,
0: what were they? I missed them.
1: Um. He said on a podcast. I think he was taking kind of tongue in cheek, but he was saying, "Oh, we'll uh." we'll finish above Liverpool this season. And uh, basically saying that he, he didn't see us as a threat, said that West Ham were going to finish above Liverpool and that they were probably going to beat us at Anfield, which they haven't done since, I think, 1963.
0: <laughs> so... Uh, Is that the podcast but, this with Callum Wilson? Because those two cheeky chappies have a laugh on there, so they
1: do. But but even in, in this modern day, you know, even if you are staying at tongue-in-cheek, if you have that printed out, that's going to be on Liverpool's dressing room, as they're saying. <laughs> Shut him up. Um, but no, um, my twat of the week are uh, UEFA. So David Kahn, who's a he's a fantastic journalist for The Guardian, he's been a great ally in clearing up Hillsborough. He put out an exclusive report this week suggesting that UEFA submitted completely untrue evidence to save their own skin after the debacle of the 2022 Champions League final in Paris. So... Um, As we saw in Paris, you know, the the French police were heavy-handed. There was a Ketlin situation. There was ticketing chaos. There was Liverpool fans pepper sprayed and herded in and we thought something bad, really bad could happen. I had relatives there who luckily didn't get involved. They uh, didn't suffer at the hands of all this mess up. But UEFA, you know, did a full investigation into it. And what's happened is UEFA president Alexander Seferin Kepharin, Seferin, Seferin.
0: What was that? Sorry. <laughs> God,
1: this UEFA happened. president, I'll Alexander. Yeah,
0: Seferin, I think, rings a bell. Seferin.
1: So he suggested the chaos of the final was the fault of the events team rather than the security team. Uh, but surprise, surprise, the UEFA safety and security unit is headed up by Seferin's best mate of decades, Zelko Pavlica. So these are accusations and they come from the head of the events team in question or the former head of the events team who was... Basically, Seferin said, oh, no, no, no. Um, the safety and security of the Champions League final, which went by the wayside, that wasn't the fault of the safety and security team. It was the fault of the events plan team. The former head of the events plan team said, no, uh, he's lying here to protect his to protect his mate. And there's been allegations of cronyism within UEFA anyway. And it's more just the fact that, like, I hate UEFA and I hate FIFA. I think they're not fit for purpose, the bro very corrupt in broad daylight. They clearly only care about themselves. They don't care about the game. They just care about making as much money as possible, which people can say about all aspects of the modern game. But when you've got the, the government bodies of the European game and the world game in general, and they're just crap, just hold your hands up and say, we got it wrong. We were bad. The police were bad. This will not happen again. Whether they follow through on that or not, just say those words rather than be like, I, what, uh, uh, "It was them. It wasn't a uh, where where fact." Just, I nearly swore then, but.
0: <laughs> it does make you want to do it though, because obviously they're trying, you go back to the final itself. I remember watching that in, in morpeth Town in a pub and the picture's getting painted by everybody of what's going on. And then you actually see the footage from the Liverpool fans who were getting like bottlenecked outside the stadium and getting stuck in these big queues and all that sort of stuff and, and getting hurried into places they shouldn't be getting hurried into and stuff like that. And it's clear that something completely different's happening. And it's not the first time the FIFA throw you way for anyone like that's done this and it won't be the last to, will it? Arsenals, a lot of them
1: yeah but like uh you you want to hope for reform you want to hope for change but you know i'm not going to hold my breath but just at least in the meantime say yeah this happened we're sorry it won't happen again but no they can't even do that
0: it's something to do with the french as well you know because it's happening i've got a thing the weekend there because i know a couple of people over at the yeah uh, excuse me the rugby world cup at the minute and it's happening in those games as well so it's, the french have got something to answer for as well
1: the, the, I, th- I think I've heard it's something to do with the, the actual um, makeup of the the Stade de France itself, that the way to get in, you've got to go under underpasses and, you know, the police kettle it off. But also it's, is it the, oh, uh, I can't remember which is this, Sandemi part of Paris, but there's, you know, gang activity and it's a bit rough as well. So they're just saying, oh, all these tourists go to that rough area over there where there's, you know, no obvious, you know, route into there. and you're, you're, Oh, it's just... It's just bad uh, infrastructure as well as, you know, corruption, yeah. <laughs> it seems. that's that's There's no way to say it. it Who's your twat of the week, Ross?
0: Well, i would just say, I was going to mention the uh, the Rugby World yeah. Cup because it was in Marseille where I knew people having the same sort of issues. So it's happening in Marseille. Because I went to Marseille in 2016, I've got to say it was apart from Russians, coming down to the harbour and, and slashing and foot with machetes and then running up the, the big alleyway there to a, a big group of them and the police coming and the fire service coming with the big water cannons and whatnot and then the Russians jumping in the home end after the game. Aside from that, it was a completely seamless experience. Uh, but it would, appear, <laughs> <laughs> it would appear in recent years the sort of infrastructure of how they set up these stadiums for these big tournaments that happen over there is wrong. So get it sorted mm. out, French. Get it sorted out, French. (laughs) The French, please. Le French. Laugh French, please, get it sorted out. (laughs) See vous play. Uh, Right, my twat of the week is none other than Jermaine Jenis, who is a pettis. He tweeted on Sunday, was it Sunday the 24th? It was the 26th on Tuesday, the 25th on Monday, and the 24th on Sunday. He tweeted, complete S house of a referee, they're all ruining our game. And then on Monday, he had to put out an apology. I hold my hands up, I got it wrong yesterday. I should know more than most the responsibility we have as fans, players and pundits and the impact our words online can have. It's an area I've been vocal in. My emotions got the better of me and I apologise to the FA and all match officials. And you might be wondering there, why is Jermaine Jenis, the big old penis, being so vocal with his apology after clearing out a clear bell end of a referee on Sunday well just a few weeks ago Jermaine Jenas, the massive penis was fronting an FA and a Premier League and an EFL campaign to protect match officials the hey. FA in a statement are said to be in quotation marks very disappointed the things that Jermaine Jenas was saying in the promotional video where he's looking like a member of a 90s pop band says we've all got to do better at all levels he then goes on to say no more surrounding refs he then goes on to say no more abuse, and after all of that, he tweets out, "What if sh- you know what of a referee? They're all ruining our game. What a fantastic turn of events!"
1: Yeah, um, he, he's he's a bit of a peddler at the best of times, but I'm in two minds about this because obviously there's the the, the turn around of it and being like, "Oh well, I've I've oh you know I've got an agreement and I've got to go back on my word," but at the same time, it is. Everyone is getting sick of the refs at the moment, uh, so I'll accept him being a twat of the week.
0: Yeah, it's a, its just the fact he's accepted money for a cause, obviously. Yeah, and a yeah. move, well, whatever it is, a, a campaign, I should say. Yeah, and then he's just gone back on the campaign a couple of weeks later, forgetting about the paycheck, forgetting about the film he the thing he filmed a couple of weeks earlier, and just making the right arse of it because he's—he's not sorry about what he said. He's just sorry the fact that people have gone. Wait there, wait there, Jermaine Jenis, you big old pettus. Fish bowls I don't like him because of his fishbowl coming from back in the day, Jarkins. Said they're for Newcastle it was like living in a fishbowl. Because people walk up to you in the street and go, Oh, you play for Newcastle, you I like you. bet What does he expect? Anyway, welcome to Brighton Home <laughs> Albion Fullback Purvis Esther Pinion. What are you talking about? Eh? What are you talking about? Uh, This comes to us this week, where, of course, we take an opinion, a hot one or a cold one, from a listener of the podcast and then pull it apart in several directions. This week's submission comes to us from the originator of Welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback (laughs) Purvis Opinion." What are you talking about? Jordan Powell, he is the guy who messaged Jackins with the idea, and here we are today breaking down all kinds of boundaries and setting new records in the podcast world. But Jordan reckons that Man City Centurions of the 17-18 season is a bigger achievement than Arsenal's Invincibles. Oh, oh. just to set some context for you, Manchester City in the 2017-2018 season. As a result of City setting an English top flight record for the most points in a single season, 100 obviously, the team received the nickname Centurions. The team set a number of Premier League records during that season, including most points, 100, most away points, 50, most points ahead of second, 19, most wins, 32, most away wins 16 most goals 106 best goal difference plus 79 and most consecutive victories of 18 in a row the team also equaled as i get an itchy ear right now oh it feels lovely the team also equaled the record for the earliest premier league title win with five games to spare beating every other team in the league throughout the season and recording the most consecutive away wins with 11 if there was a record there to break they broke it in comparison, Arsenal the o three o four campaign. We all know what happened. Played thirty eight, won twenty six, drawn twelve, lost zero. Ninety points, which is as a Liverpool fan, I guess like you know we got ninety seven or whatever that. Yeah, <laughs> but still, who is he right, Jordan, or is he wrong? Are the Centurions a more impressive achievement than Arsenal's Invincibles?
1: Uh, Jordan is wrong. Um, I think the Invincibles is more impressive um because the centurions obviously it's incredible but city have come close to that so many times in the years since liverpool have come close to that half the records that city set in that season liverpool broke when we won the title in 1920 as for the invincibles in 1920 in in the 1920 season oh, so
0: <laughs> Sorry. I was like, he's not dragging yeah. up history from 1920, is he? <laughs> no, in
1: in, in in the 1920 season, yeah. um, you know, we had most points ahead of second. We had um, earliest the Premier League was won and also the latest the Premier League was won, which is a record that can never be broken. Um, and But for the Invincibles, obviously with both, it's like, oh, well, City were the first team to break 100 points. Arsenal were the first team to, uh, you know, be invincible. But that's the one people chase. It doesn't matter if you've got a hundred points, if you've got 95 points, if you are first and you win, you win. Whereas how can you lose less than zero games if you know what I mean? I think we, I don't know if we'll ever see the Invincibles broken again in our lifetime. Again, people have come close to it. And you also look at the era, in that era, getting 90 points as well was pretty <clears throat> rare as yeah. well. And as for the Centurions thing, obviously, back before, I can't even remember when the rule changed, but back in the day, anyway, in the old first division before the Premier League, it wasn't three points for a win, it was two points for a win. So if you adjusted some of those title winnings for, you know, the the previous like 80 years, if you adjusted them for innovation and put them to three points, you you don't know. Some some may have beaten it if adjusted, if you know what I mean. But for me, it's the. it's the Invincibles, and that was me trying to take my Liverpool hat off of this. But for me, it's the Invincibles. Can you
0: tell me who Manchester City lost to in the Premier League that season? They lost two games, but no, sorry, one away from home, one at home. Who did they lose against? Do you know? Um, you should know.
1: I want to say it's Liverpool.
0: It is on the fourteenth of January, twenty eighteen. Liverpool four, Manchester City three. Tell me the goal scorer, was... Jarkins.
1: That was an amazing game. Uh, I remember watching that just be like, yes, oh God. Uh,
0: Sadio Mane. Mane scored in the 61st minute. Yes. Uh, that was the third, Salah. The third goal. Uh, Salah scored the fourth goal in the 68th minute. Alex Oxley chamberlain He scored the first goal in the ninth minute. So you're looking for the second goal which happened in the 59th minute and the person in question got a yellow card in the 60th minute which means I assume they took their shirt off and showed us their nipples.
1: Roberto Firmino.
0: Correct! Tell me who scored for Man City then it's all it's it's, it's impressive then. You should know that really you know a big win like this one.
1: Bernardo Silva.
0: He scored in the 84th minute. My God he's too away from greatness. We've got a goal in the 40th minute and then a goal in stoppage time 90 plus one.
1: Uh, Sergio Aguero was he still there
0: incorrect he was there but he's, he didn't I score in this game do you want to have a game of the yes no game me and my girlfriend love the yes no game
1: let's so, try uh, let's go for the yes no game
0: so you've got two goal scorers to find all I can say is yes or no you've got to ask questions that find out the answer uh, okay um, here we go bit of improv on the podcast
1: was one of the scorers a defender no was one of the scorers a midfielder? Yes. Were both scorers midfielders? No. Was one of the scorers David Silva? No. Who hey, else? They've had so many players. Was one of the scorers Gabriel Jesus? No. No. <laughs> Was one of the scorers Brian Kidd? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll give this another half minute or so, then we'll wrap it up before it gets a bit oh, too put, much.
1: Put me out of my misery, go on,
0: uh, Leroy Sané, who was the you know he's a winger, like oh, attacker. Yeah, yeah, he scored in the 40th minute, then Gundogan got the second. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I remember.
1: I remember watching that game. I remember specifically being at parents' house, front room. Still had, I think. Either the Christmas decorations were still up or they just come down and I just remember thinking, This is amazing. This is amazing and then thinking, Oh no, we're gonna throw it away, City here, just gonna sit here. But uh Yeah, it was it was a great season that it was a uh, great yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I remembered so much, but I just remember Oxlade-Chamberlain absolutely banging it in. I and mean, you'd just be like, i oh, probably throwing a cup of tea across the room. I
0: wonder what you were doing there. You're like, oh! <laughs> and the other game that Manchester City lost that season was at home to Manchester United. That game where mm. Man United scored a couple of goals in quick succession in the second half to win 3-2. But in terms of Jordan's opinion of the Centurions being a bigger achievement than Arsenal's Invincibles, the fact that Arsenal's been done once, I think I disagree with Jordan... The Invincibles Mm. is more impressive because that's what they always say, isn't it, these days? when Manchester City lose their first game. Well, I guess we'll have to wait until next year to see the Invincibles finally beaten. I know you could could say that they drew 12 games, which is maybe, you know, a bit too many draws, if you want to put it, if you're a, a real football purist. But I just think the fact that nobody's done it makes it a far bigger achievement.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. I think both will be put to bed when the first team lifts the quad I think that's going to be the, the unbeatable one that stands above all others. But and then what is it like when we're 95 years old and I don't know Birmingham City are doing the quad while being invincible as well who knows,
0: who knows? <laughs> but, I, do you reckon it could happen this season no I'll say yes what happened to that wonder Jarkins? I've not known what's coming up in this segment today so I'm strapped in and ready for some podcast nirvana
1: Right, so this week, we are looking at a Wunderkind who's still playing his trade, has been in the news this week, but I wrote this before, they appeared in the news. Um, but it's it's a player who's not been at the level we thought he would be when he burst on the scene. And that is Adnan Yanezai. Yanezai,
0: Yanezai, 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 Yanezai. I remember going to the... Um... Back when I was at uni, it's Surland. Surland. This is how badly they struggled to sell tickets back then for Premier League football, remember. The University of Surland would get a batch of free tickets. And I want to say it could have been anywhere up to a 1,000 because... <laughs> the- in the top tier at the Stadium of Light, like, like along from where the away fans sit, there was a few blocks of seats that were all students. I was like, this is so many tickets to get away for free. I want so many Macam games for free. All the big teams, obviously. <laughs> in that 13-14 season, especially. Yanazai, I think, scored in the 13-14 season at the Stadium of Light in a game I was at. I do think I'm right there, but I could be wrong. I might check that while you're telling me about Adnan Yanazai.
1: Well, don't worry. I'll tell you myself. Here oh! we go. So... Born in Brussels, Belgium, February 1995. Jan Zai started at Brussels FC but joined Anderlecht age 10. At age 16, he was signed by Manchester United and was promoted to the first team at the end of the 12-13 season by Sir Alex Ferguson. However, by the time he came to make his competitive debut in the 2013 Community Shield, David Moyes was in charge. So... Dun-dun-dun! signed by Fergie but you know Moyes was just like right let's see what he's like so he came on uh, during the Community Shield came on as a sub United beat Wigan 2-0 he made his first start in October after starting the season as a sub and during his first start he scored twice as United came from behind to beat Sudlin 2-1 I was
0: there win me free ticket up the university
1: So later that season, he was nominated for the BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year, despite only playing 10 games for Man United. Uh, He ended the season on 34 appearances, four goals in all competitions, but he had picked up a reputation for diving and had been booked three times for the offense during the season.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. So obviously Man United had high hopes for him because going into the 14-15 season, Yanezai was given the number 11 shirt, which Ryan Giggs had. Uh, but this season ended it on 21 appearances and zero goals. So, 15 16, they sent him to Borussia Dortmund on loan, but he was recalled after just 12 appearances. And it ended the Premier League season at United with seven appearances, one goal in all competitions. So, already it's going a bit down. 16 17 season, Yanazai joined Sudley on loan. <laughs> Just, like, just a, a slight addendum. Uh, my missus is a midwife, and at the moment she's got a student who's from Sunderland. And um, <laughs> when when the student told our our oh, shard, she was like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Sunderland." Apparently, she just went, "Ah, s- <laughs> <laughs> <right addendum. laughs>
0: It's how they all say it from there. cheesy chips. Where's K's? Are these K's?
1: Weird accent. That's- that's, that's one of the things I miss about being in the office whenever, you know, something positive is said about Sule, just go, Sule. <laughs> so, talking to Sule, Sixteen, seventeen. Adnan Yanzai joins on loan, once again under David Moyes. 20 appearances, one goal, but missed six weeks through injury. And Moyes said he needs need to improve to break into Man first team. So even Moyes was of the impression, he's a good player here. He's gonna go back to United. He just needs to just kind of build up his skills, get into the first team. This wouldn't happen though, as he joined Real Sociedad in July, 2017, aged 22. Um, his total appearances for Man United, it was 63 appearances, five goals across his career, which for a 21 year old kind of winger, it's- Not great, but you know, if if Ferguson's hand-picking you, it's it's it already comes with a lofty set of expectations. And like we said, the sports BBC Sports Personality of the Year nomination and all that. So he'd as time as Real Sociedad would prove better. He'd make 168 appearances, just 23 goals, which ain't the best return, but still a five year spell. He'd win the Copa del Rey in the 1920 season, but he didn't feature in the final. So again, it's it's a fine career thus far, but we all expected, I think something just more, didn't we? Yeah. When he broke onto the scene at United, he got released by Sociedad at the end of the 21, 22 season. And he'd end up at Sevilla on a four year deal, but he just made just six appearances before heading to Istanbul. Basak <laughs> easy for me to say, <laughs> on loan. And in Istanbul, 17 appearances, three goals, which ain't great. Um, and so we we come to. I'd written all this thinking oh, that's, it's it's not as it's not as depressing as a, a story as other from we've looked at. He's still just twenty eight, and rumours this past week have suggested that Everton could make a move to him. But even then, in these rumours, they're just like ah, oh, Everton can't really splash the cash, so they might as well go for Yana's which just seems a bit unfair. Um, looking at it though, like uh, trying to assess what went wrong, he had he had his fair share of injuries. He's missed fifty seven games throughout his career as a result. But I just do think that being put on that pedestal so early at United and obviously the upheaval of by the time he finally gets into the squad, David Moyes comes, United underperform, Moyes goes and then it's just a a whirlwind of chaos at United. Um, But he still plays, he's 28, he's had a good career, he's won the Copa del Rey, he's been to the World Cup of Belgium, he's won trophies. We just all assume that he'd be... Still leading the front line at United, didn't we?
0: Yeah, it was that he was the sign of hope, wasn't he, for my United fans in that 13 14 season when the wheels were probably falling off like everything was going wrong. But he was the one who was like, what, we've got a player on our hands here, he could be the one we build the future around. But it just didn't happen.
1: No, but like I said, 28 years old could, could end up at Sean Deitch's Everton
0: <laughs> and he'd fit right in.
1: <laughs> so it, I, don't, I don't know, but it's a. Uh, it, 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 a slightly more hopeful tale than other ones we've looked at. Your Freddie Adu's, your Pato's, your other depressing young men who now hate the hate the entire industry itself. But yeah, imagine Adnan Yanezai.
0: Imagine saying to Everton fans during that 13, 14 season, you know what, your right-hand side will, well, if he does sign, Like if your right-hand side will be in 2023-24, it'll be Ashley Young backing up Adnan Yanazai. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And uh, some fans be like, "Oh, Janesai, yeah, okay, he'll be in his twenties. How old's Ashley? How old's Ashley? How old's Ashley Young?" Old's Ashley young? But uh, that's our uh, that's that's our Thunderkind, and that'll hopefully be back in two weeks time
0: yes it will be it
1: will be back in two weeks time it will be back in two weeks time okay there we go
0: it's the hope that kills you in life (laughs) so don't kill me hope anyway move on to the Roberto Mail Baggio Ross at hold and give all the words not the and sign .com is where you send your Roberto Mail Baggio's hi lads what's your opinion on the 3pm blackout as a match going supporter I think it should remain as it would ruin the lower leagues attendances especially during the awful winter months when attendances are sparse it's proven during Champions League nights that attendances drop at a lower league Games during midweek. Love the Podlars up the hole and give and up the Hereford who got smashed by Morpeth Town in the FA Vars final of 2016. <laughs> Jason Powell again, <laughs> the purpose to pinion man himself. <laughs> so yeah, the 3pm blackout. The, just in case you're unaware, if you're a fan of football in England, you can't watch English leagues or professional English leagues or any English leagues, I should say. If the games kick off at 3 o'clock on a Saturday, you can't legally watch it on television in the UK. It's the 3 p.m. blackout. It was brought in to help attendances at live games. Now it feels a bit stupid to me.
1: It's, yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but obviously we're talking from the position of Premier League supporting the supporters. Um, And I think one of the things is for me that modern technology has dulled its relevancy. Already twice this season Liverpool haven't been on TV. And it's not like I didn't go to a local non-league game. No, I I uh I uh I, I, I bent the rules of the law and uh because I couldn't get tickets and I uh I watched both games. Like um allegedly. <laughs> He's admitting to doing a crime on the podcast. You know, my hands were tied, but like I said it's from from a Liverpool supporting perspective where it's hard to get tickets anyway, it doesn't make sense to me because I'm not just thinking, ah, oh, I can't watch Liverpool. I'll go gardening or I'll go watch Marine or I'll go watch Trammy." I'm just like, no, I'm going to find a way to watch Liverpool knowing that you can watch it in Ireland. You can watch it in America. You can watch it in Canada. You can watch it across Africa. You can watch it across continental Europe. Surely there has to be a solution that works for everyone because the blackout seems outdated, but surely there should be a way that because scheduling is so intricate now, and obviously we're seeing more midweek games, we're seeing Friday night games, which I'm not a fan of in the Premier League. I, 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 I'm a traditionalist. The Saturday, Sunday, occasionally a Monday, but there's got to be a way of making it all work, surely.
0: Yeah, and especially when you like, you are a fan who yeah you know, is maybe a fan of a Premier League team. You don't have to go. or don't get to go to many games because take a demand at Premier League team is that. You know, for example, me. I'm in the ballot system at Newcastle. I've been in every single ballot this season. I haven't been successful yet. I've been getting mm. the games via mates that I've got to my accounts are linked to, and they've been successful, and I've gone along with them. Sometimes you can't get to a game, so you're forced to watch on television. I guess in the lower leagues, I can see why the blackout applies because you know that the the, 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 t- the revenue brought in by ticket sales is more. Substantial more. It has more of an effect on those clubs at that level. But not be able to watch a single Premier League game in England from the English Premier League, it seems really stupid, especially when you're forced to pay... I mean, it's like 80 quid, isn't it, now, if you want Sky and BT and you can't watch a game at 3 yeah. o'clock on a Saturday. It seems absolutely ridiculous. And that's why criminals like yourself, Jack, have to go to these extreme levels just to watch their team play football because you're not going to... Who can... Re- obviously there are people who can afford it, but, you know, we can't afford... Well, I can't afford it. I don't want to pay it. I'd rather spend money on different things.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, because... How many games have we had this season? Is it six now? Six, yeah. Yeah, so a third of Liverpool games already this season haven't been televised, for me personally. What was because of the 3pm blackout? And on Sunday, West Ham versus Liverpool just wasn't chosen for broadcast, which seems ridiculous as well. Mm. So, and that's a big game. And I was just like, well... I'm going to watch it. I'm going to yeah. find a way to watch it. Like,
0: I'm just waiting for this, uh, this Netflix of football to come about because I think that's the way to make it work for everybody. If you put everybody's teams into the same streaming thing, and then make everybody pay a tenner a month, whatever. The amount of money that can then be trickled down, surely to the lower league teams, as well as the Premier League teams, who will bring in the majority of the subscriptions. You've got to recognise that, I guess. But the trickle-down effect, because the pyramid is the pyramid for a reason, and the trickle-down effect that does help them out is there for a reason. Surely that's the way to solve all the issues.
1: It was one of the American sports um, streaming services years ago. I can't remember if it was hockey or baseball, but I'm sure there was a way in place that... You bought a subscription for your team, but part of that subscription was you could pick a second team as well. So, say if you're in a title race, and so you could have a subscription to watch your main team and whoever your rival was, just to keep an eye on it. So, and but, like we say though, the pyramid, the trickle down effect. I don't trust the system to make sure that these teams are fairly compensated. So, yeah. it's, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's surely something suggests that in the 21st century we can come up with it because when was the blackout introduced was it the 50s 60s
0: i can't i don't even know <laughs> it's been a thing as long as i've been alive that's for sure
1: yeah but because when i when i've explained it to sean because sean's not really the football fan like if, if there's a big match on or whatever she'll come watch it with me but she's not really too asked when i explained it to her she just went that's ridiculous and i was like yeah, yeah but to the, the lower league and non-league teams it is the difference between life and death in the,
0: yeah, it is. It's Sorry. that big. Uh, good morning, lads. I hope you're well. I imagine Ross is still in a state of euphoria after Newcastle's win on the weekend. My question is somewhat somewhat related to Newcastle, absolutely battering Sheffield United over the weekend. As you probably already know, when a Premier League team is relegated to the Championship, they receive parachute payments, which amounts vary, uh, which amounts vary, depend on how long they've stayed in the Premier League to begin with, to cover player wages and the reduction in TV revenue compared to the Prem, which almost always results in these teams then go going back up again within one or two seasons. Because of this, we seem to have an increase on yo-yo clubs over the years with the likes of Leeds and West Bromwich Albion, West Bromwich Building Society, uh, never staying in the same division for too long. My question is, do you think the clubs going up and ultimately the Premier League and Championship... Do you think the clubs going up and ultimately the Premier League and Championship would benefit from the reverse of this when they are promoted? So... What's the reverse of a parachute? A rocket payment. <laughs> trying, something just, that makes you go up.
1: <laughs> a, some kind of windfall.
0: Yeah, know. a windfall when you get promoted for a few years, I guess is what we're saying here. Um Obviously, there is already prize money up for grabs and the playoff final is still dub- dubbed as the £100 million game. However, unfortunately, this doesn't seem to be enough anymore to have ch- uh, to give teams a chance of keeping up with already established teams. If you look at the bottom three this year, it is already the three teams that came up last season. And unfortunately, it doesn't like this is going to change anytime soon. If teams are given almost a helping hand when they are promoted and if they stay up for a season or two, surely this will lead to a better competition overall and it's just closer to this level playing field in abbreviated commas there uh, fantasy that some fans have, which is never going to happen. Uh, they could also lead uh, to different teams being relegated slash promoted each year, making the leagues a little more exciting and increasing the chances of Tim pot clubs like Luton getting their chance. As I say this, uh, I say this is more hopeful than usual, but still jaded Birmingham City fan whose club finally has rece- the resources to make a challenge for that ta- top six promotion. Oh, and the cough. It would de- uh, welcome a couple of quid from the Premier League if, on the off chance, we bungled our way to promotion appreciate this is a long one but take, but like our lord and saviour Peter Drury I like to tell a story you tell it, you tell me that again, uh, cheers lads keep up the good work, up the hole and give faves and pools and keep right on that's from Ryan in Birmingham what he says makes sense but what if your team gets promoted, gets the first windfall but then goes back down and then needs some sort of parachute payment anyway, I guess that's the only flaw in it
1: yeah, and I think as well. Say if you were the team that finished sixteenth in the league the season before, it's you're likely to there be outspent potentially. Yeah, you're gonna get so less it, money than the team that comes up. Yeah, this is more like,
0: like is this like an NFL franchise thingy? Because when the team. Is that when the team who finished bottom at the NFL or whatever it is the football league in America's they then get the first draft pick of the best player from the next season? If that makes sense, is that
1: yeah something like that. yeah? Um, so
0: Manchester City for winning the league they get ten pound, but Luton for getting promoted via the playoffs get three hundred and fifty million thousand gazillion pounds.
1: But it's it's one of those though because say you did come up, and you spunked all this money on wages and still went down. Um, obviously, you, like you said, you might still get that parachute payment, but you could find more teams spending beyond their means, maybe going into insolvencies. And as we've seen, actually, this is a bad example. I was gonna say Nottingham Forest gave up and spent an absolute bum load, but they managed to stay up somehow. Mm. Um, whereas you look at uh, Brentford from the year previous, who didn't spend on Chelsea or Forest type levels, they did their business a bit more. Uh, soundly and they've they seem to be doing all right um, I don't know I don't know I think I it makes know.
0: it makes sense in what he's saying in like you know in terms of bringing teams who do get promoted a bit more level with the teams who have been established but then naturally mm. as we said there if a team finishes 16th 17th the previous season they then need more money which would then keep the gap there anyway unless you're going to give all the teams the same money for fi- I don't know I don't know
1: yeah, because like he said with the example of West Brom, I hated West Brom for a bit. I was just like, can we just have a league in between the Premier League and the Championship, which is just West Brom on their own <laughs> because they were too good for the Championship and not not good enough for the Premier League, and got bored of seeing them come. And up then
0: Steve and Bruce took over, and now they're completely nestled in the Championship. Up <laughs> oh, the Steve Bruce, yeah. I know what you're saying, though. I don't know. I know what Ryan's saying as well, but it just. It's fine and well doing that, but it's then what happens to the teams who are already there. How does that change? Let us know, Ryan, how you would change that and make all of this make sense. Last question mm. in the Roberto mail you this week. If you like a lot of football in your podcast, Mail and Bag. Salutations, you pair of top shaggers. Hope you're having a wonderful week of, <laughs> full of adventure and mystery. Got a cheeky little question for you to answer to your heart's content. Now, I did no preparation for this one, so we're flying by the seat of the pants. Can you put together a five-a-side team of players who have played for your clubs with A few rules not too tricky so it doesn't take days. Rule number one one player from each decade, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, the the 10s, and the 20s so far. Rule two you can pick a manager, but they have never, but they have to have never managed your team. So your dream manager can't be from any period. And rule number three the team has to be cohesive. You can't just whack four strikers in and a defender. We need a goalkeeper, a defender, a midfielder, an attacker all covered. And rule number four is have fun. Much love to the holders and the givers. Sorry if this question takes ages and bores you. And this is from Jay, who sends hugs and kisses as well. Ah.
1: ah. See, I, I've, I did my prep for this and I took it seriously. Go on so then. Let's, uh, Rattle it off, big boy. <laughs> we're, playing, we're, we're playing a 1-1-2 formation. So, in goal, a player who, although we signed in the later 2010s, he's... Best period has been the 2020s. In goal, Alison Becker for the 2020s. In defence, technically a 2010s player because that's when he was at his best form, it's Virgil van Dijk. In midfield, representing the noughties, it's Steven Gerrard. Mm. An attack in front two from the 80s and 90s, it's Sir Kenneth Matheson Dalgleish (laughs) and God himself, Robert Bernard Fowler. (laughs) And they are managed... By Johan Cruyff. <laughs> oh, you've taken my manager. Right, so I'm going to go... have Johan Cruyff. That, that's oh, fine. I've it's got to, ha- to see.
0: We're going up against each other here, surely. So my man- I'll start with my manager. My manager would be in a one-on-one, five-a-side game of football, one chance. That's all you need. The manager for that occasion, it would be... It would be... It'd have to be... Managing Newcastle, Jose Mourinho. Ooh. <laughs> I'm taking this a Poo House way, and of course he's got the t- he loves Newcastle because he was Sir Bobby's translator, wasn't he, in Barcelona and mm. Porto? So the ties are there. I could have gone Guardiola, but we're going Poo House for this team. Me goalkeeper, I'm going to select from the Nordies, Shea Given, the best goalkeeper I've seen play for Newcastle. Uh, the defender, I'm going to select from the twenties. Sven Botman, who has superseded Jonathan Woodgate, is the best defender I've seen play for Newcastle, bar none. Then we're going to go for the midfielder. Will be from the nineties, and this one counts for me because he did play sometimes centre midfield, but mostly as cam. It's Peter Beardsley. That's perfectly fine. For Kevin Keegan's Newcastle team. And then up front, I've scuppered the naughties so I've got to go from the 10s and the 80s for me strikers. I'm going to go for, from the 80s, oh my God, who do I go from the, the 80s? What was the name of that massive chopper who played for Newcastle? Just a uh, big, uh, not Whitehouse, was it? Paul Whitehouse. We'll go for Paul White. Have I just made that up? He was like the hardest. Paul Whitehouse? No, that's from the that's from shooting stuff. That's from Harry and Paul. What was he called? Newcastle striker. He used to batter fuck. Paul, oh, Newcastle striker, 80s. He was absolutely. There's Newcastle fans screaming, screaming at there. Oh, I've just got a list of all the Newcastle players from the 80s now. This is fantastic. I'm thinking,
1: I'm thinking of a different player from Newcastle from the 80s called Paul, who I'm surprised you haven't mentioned.
0: Oh, yeah, Paul Gascoigne. I guess I could put him in there. Yeah, we'll put Gazza in there. So we've got we've got Shea Given, we've got Botman, we've got Beardsley and Gazza. Ooh, 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 what a team. And we've got to go from the 10s for a striker, and obviously because of his resurgence with a certain Real Madrid, Hossolu. There we go. What a team managed by Jose Mourinho, Given, Botman, Gascoigne, Beardsley, Hossolu. All greats of the game.
1: I'm surprised that your heart didn't tell you to go for a midfielder for the ten. So you could have got Alan Shearer in there up front with Paul Gascoigne.
0: Bollocks to him. Five aside is not his game. You need to be all action. You can't just stand up front and be a dirty goal hanger. That's really bothered me that I forgot. I've gone blank on this lad's name. This lad's name. Big, dirty Newcastle striker from the 80s who used to batter folk. Paul White, howsoever. Because you. <laughs>
1: Because you said "Poor Whitehouse, the only name bouncing in my head is Norman Whiteside. <laughs> <what he's>
0: <laughs> I'm really struggling here. Let's look at a, a, a countdown quickly of the best strikers they ever played for Newcastle. Oh, we're getting to Ivor Oldchurch. Everyone knows Ivor Oldchurch, don't they? Keegan's there, George Robledo. He's not going to be in this top ten, is he? Len White. I could add super, well, Supermax more the 70s, isn't he? I'll think of who it was when I'm going to sleep tonight because that's how my life works. But that was the Roberto Male Baguio.
1: I want to know, answer in the comments or any means you can, who would win that five-a-side game between <laughs> Johan Cruyff's Liverpool and Jose Mourinho's Newcastle?
0: <laughs> Football would be the winner. That's who it would be. So thank you for your Roberto Mailbagio submissions. Once again, Ross at holdandgive.com. That was it for the Hold and Give Football podcast this week. I've been Ross Tweddle, joined by Jack. Is there any closing remarks before we go away this week?
1: I hope the weather stays cold so everyone can enjoy some stew, whether that is scouse or Irish stew or any other kind of stew. It's stew season, Ross, and I'm happy about it.
0: I've got a stew this week. I've started doing Hello Fresh, and we got a stew.
1: Oh, I haven't done HelloFresh for a few years. I, I I don't think I ever had a stew from that. It's
0: been a game changer, let me tell you. Someone who's scared of the kitchen. I'm going to tell you what my stew is before we go away. Because I think it's cru- crucial information for the podcast. I'm trying to hold in a sneeze. Of course we've encountered a problem on the app when I'm trying to look for what my stew is. I can't believe it. Oh, well. My menu, is it going to work? Nope. We've encountered a problem once again. So we'll never know what my stew is until I go through there and take the instructions off the top of the microwave. Oh, not the instructions. The recipe. My God. my God. Let's end the podcast there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.